0: Well, please turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, and this morning we shall be reading verses 15 to 20. subheading, in the ESV at least, which of course isn't part of the inspired text, but the subheading is the preeminence of Christ and Seems to me that's a very good summary of this particular passage. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 20, let us hear the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, We are gathered here this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not come to church to glorify ourselves. We do not come to church to hear about ourselves. We do not come to church to think about ourselves. We come to church to glorify and to worship, to hear about and to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning... I want us to spend some time setting our minds upon the Lord Jesus. I want us to spend some time considering him. Now, at this time of the year, we tend to focus on the baby Jesus. We think about our Lord's self-humiliation, how he, the eternal son, came down from heaven to earth and took on himself a human nature and was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit and was born of her. And and this is a good thing to do. It's a good thing for us to think about the incarnation, to think about the baby Jesus. But we must never forget who this baby that was cradled in the arms of his mother Mary was. And here in Colossians chapter 1 Verses 15 to 20, we are reminded afresh of the matchless glory and greatness and preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are reminded that that baby in a manger was none other than the Lord of all creation and the Lord of all recreation we are reminded here in our passage that jesus christ truly is the lord of glory and that there is no one no one like him and so this morning i simply want us to fix our eyes upon jesus and to marvel at him i want you to forget about yourself i know that's not always easy but i want you to forget about yourself and i want you to set your mind on jesus And there are six things that I want you to note about Jesus from our passage this morning as we go through it. The first one is this. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. As the children's catechism says... God is a spirit and does not have a body like man. We cannot see God. God is invisible to us. He is everywhere. He is very real, more real than we are. But we cannot see him with our physical eyes. But in Jesus Christ, the invisible God made himself visible. Jesus Christ is the very image, the Exact image and replica of the invisible God. Jesus is, we might say, God's mirror image. We sometimes hear people say to a a young boy, don't we? You're the mirror image of your father. Any of you young boys ever heard someone say that to you? You are the mirror image of your father. In other words, you look exactly like your father. And this is, in a sense, what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that Jesus, the Son, is exactly like his Father. He is his mirror image. Such that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Of course, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They are distinct Persons. The Father is unbegotten, the Son is eternally begotten. Nevertheless, they are, together with the Holy Spirit, the same in essence, the same in substance, the same being. Distinct, but inseparable. And one thing this means is that because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, All of God's attributes, his invisible attributes, are made visible in the Lord Jesus. God's holiness, God's power, God's wisdom, God's love, all perfectly seen, embodied, manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. These invisible, abstract attributes have a body. They have a definite form, a definite shape. They are, we might say, Jesus-shaped. So when people ask, what is wisdom, or what is justice, or what is love, the answer is very simple. These things are Jesus Christ. How sad, therefore, it is, not to mention how sinful, that so many millions in this world worship other so-called gods. How sad it is that so many millions waste their lives worshipping dumb and lifeless idols when God has in the person of his son Jesus Christ said, here I am, this is me. And by God's grace and purely by God's grace, we worship Jesus. We worship the one, the only one who is the image of the invisible God. And so we say of that baby in the manger, as we sang in our first hymn of praise, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus is the creator. As the image of the invisible God, Jesus, as Paul goes on to say in verse 15, is the firstborn of all Creation, Firstborn, not in the sense of being the first created being, contrary to the Aryan heresy now spouted by, among others, the Jehovah's Witnesses. No, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation in the sense that he is superior to all of creation. He stands above all of creation. He is the firstborn in the sense that he rules sovereignly over all creation. He is the king of Creation. And Jesus is this. He is the firstborn because he is the great creator. He's not the first created being because, as Paul goes on to say in verse 16, he is the uncreated creator. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus, the Son of God, is the glorious, uncreated creator by whom everything was created. Everything that you see, everything that you don't see. All of the angels in heaven, all of the fallen spirits, they are all the creation of Jesus Christ. Everything was made by him, by his word. Everything was made through him through his power, through his wisdom, through his love, and everything was made for him. Jesus Christ is the great goal of creation. He is the telos of the world. Why is this world here? Why is there something rather than nothing? It's for Jesus. Creation is not some kind of meaningless accident, as so many wrongly think today. No, creation has been divinely designed divinely planned divinely knit together so beautifully and so wonderfully and therefore creation is charged with meaning and with significance and with purpose and of course that ultimate meaning significance and purpose is the lord jesus christ not man but the god man is the great end of all things This whole world is for Jesus, not for you. You are for Jesus. That is why you are here. That is why you are someone and not no one. You exist for Jesus Christ. And therefore you will only find true meaning and true purpose. You will only find your true self. In Jesus Christ and in living for Him, Jesus is the creator. He's also thirdly the sustainer. Verse 17, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is before all things, before I think in both a temporal and also a qualitative sense. In other words, Jesus Christ as the Son of God is pre-existent. He's eternal. He has no beginning and He has no end. He is before the all things of space-time creation. And He is also before all things in the sense of being above all things. Before above all things, as the great king who exercises unlimited authority and power and rule and sovereignty over all creation. Jesus is truly the and the only absolute monarch. And as the absolute monarch, Jesus holds everything together. The whole universe is sustained and upheld by our eternal creator king, Jesus Christ. If he were to withdraw his sustaining presence from this world, even for just one nanosecond, then everything would literally fall apart. Everything. Every movement of the planets every ray of sunshine every drop of rain every fall of snow all of it takes place by the providential rule and oversight and determination of Jesus Christ he holds all creation together and he holds you together day by day hour by hour breath by breath he holds you together. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds you in his hands? Up until this point, Paul has spoken of Jesus, the son in his eternal being as, as God, as creator, as sustainer. And now as we move on in our passage to verse 18, he goes on to speak of Jesus as the incarnate son in his glorified, his present glorified and exalted state. And so we see Paul's thought shifting here at this point, shifting from a focus on creation to more of a focus on redemption. Or we might say recreation. And so we see fourthly that Jesus is the head of the church. He's God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And then fourthly, he is the head of the church. Verse 18 He is the head of the body, the church. Just as Jesus exercises headship over all creation, so he exercises headship in a special way. We might say a mediatorial way over his body, the church. He is, as Paul says elsewhere, head over all things to the church. That is to say, for the benefit of the church. And Jesus being the head of the church means... At least a couple of things. It means in the first place that he is in an organic relationship with his body, the church. Just as the limbs of your physical body are united to and share a common life with your head. So we, the body, are united to and share a common life with the Lord Jesus. We we share in the very life. Of our head. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is. Our life. And without him. Without our head. Then we would be dead. We would have no life. And then secondly. As the head of the church. Jesus of course has. Total authority over the church. Jesus is in charge of his church no one else only Jesus Jesus tells us what we are to believe and Jesus tells us how we are to live and we must submit that's our duty that's what we're to do submit to Jesus our head just as an arm does exactly what the head tells it to do So we must do exactly what our head, Jesus Christ, tells us to do. And I think it's important for us to emphasize this today because it seems to me that, by and large, we live in quite an anti-authority age. It seems to me that Western culture is largely suspicious of those in authority, sometimes with good reason. Still, we need to be careful, very careful, that our culture's emphasis on being true to yourself, irrespective of what others say, including your own body, we need to be very careful that that cultural emphasis on you being true to yourself. Doing what you think is right, doing whatever you feel is right, doesn't infect our thinking as Christians. We need to remember this very basic truth. Jesus Christ is in charge. Jesus Christ is our head, our master, our Lord. And we are his body and we must obey him. Fifthly, Jesus is all-sufficient. Paul goes on in verse 18 to say that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, he entered into a new realm of existence. He entered into a new mode of existence. Unlike with others who had been raised from the dead, there there were others that had been raised from the dead before Jesus, Lazarus for example. But unlike all of those others who had been raised from the dead, when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose never to die again. He rose to everlasting life. He rose to a realm and to a mode of existence in which death and decay and corruption no longer exist. They're no longer present. And this death free, this resurrection realm is what the Bible elsewhere calls the new creation. And of this new creation, this death free resurrection realm, Jesus is the beginning Just as in the beginning, and we must hear the echo of Genesis 1 here, just as in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth, so in the beginning, at his resurrection, Jesus created the new heavens and the new earth. Just as Jesus is the firstborn of all of creation, this creation, so Jesus is also the firstborn of all the new creation. So that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus will have the preeminence in glory. We will be busy with much in glory. Heaven, the new heavens and the new earth will be a hive of activity. And all of that activity will be directed to Jesus Christ so that he will be seen to be preeminent everywhere By everyone and that will be the most wonderful, most thrilling experience you could ever imagine to exalt Jesus Christ. 4 verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ will have the preeminence in glory because together with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, he is fully God and from his fullness we receive grace upon grace. We receive everything that we need from Jesus Christ. And it was important for Paul to say this because the uh, church in Colossae was faced with a Jesus plus heresy. There is, as you might know, debate about the exact nature of the, uh, the heresy that the Colossians were facing but it's clear that the gist of the heresy was that Jesus was not enough Jesus was necessary you had to have Jesus but he wasn't sufficient you had to have more you needed something extra if you were to be truly Christian but this is a damnable heresy because Jesus is enough He is more than enough, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Imagine, if you will, a beggar being invited into a rich man's house this Christmas. And this beggar is told by the rich man that everything in his house is his. Everything is freely available to him. Everything, the fridge, the cupboards, the pantry, they're all full of food. The wardrobes, they're all stocked with plenty of clothes. And there's a lovely, clean bathroom and a warm, comfortable bed. And the rich man says to this beggar that he's invited into his house, it's all yours. Eat whatever you want. Wear whatever you want. I've made sure that it fits you. Have a long and relaxing bath and and have a good night's sleep in, in my best bed. Just draw on all of my fullness. It's all yours. I've given it to you. Imagine if the beggar were to turn around and to say, well, let me first just pop outside and uh, and I'll see if I can find a bit of food in the bin to eat. And I'll see if I can find some clothes strewn on the ground that I, I might be able to wear. And I'll see if I can find some discarded mattress somewhere that I might sleep on. And I'll, I'll make use of those. You would think, what a foolish, what an ungrateful beggar that man is. Jesus Christ is that rich man's house multiplied a thousandfold where the food never runs out and where there are plenty of clothes to wear from his infinite fullness his infinite fullness you find food that will satisfy your soul for all eternity from his infinite fullness you will wear clothes That will cover all of your nakedness. From his infinite fullness. You will drink in water. That will cleanse your heart from all of its sin. And make you pure and holy. In Jesus you have everything that you need. For life and eternity. And from his infinite fullness. He invites you, his body, his children to draw day by day by day. Do you need grace? Do you need wisdom? Do you need comfort and strength? Do you need faith, hope and love? Then draw these things from the infinite and eternal wellspring that is Jesus Christ. It's all yours in him. He said, it's all yours. It's all here. I am the rich man's house, just come in, take whatever you need. Jesus is all-sufficient and sixthly, finally, Jesus is our mediator. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him and through him, verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was perfect peace. Everything was just right. there was beautiful harmony and order. there was peace between God and man and the world. Everything was in its right place. But then, of course, we sinned in that original peace. And harmony and order was lost. And in its place came war and alienation and division. And this is what the world is like now. This is what we are like now. We are at war. We are at war against God, against others, even against our own selves. But wonderfully, God has acted. He has taken the initiative in his son to restore Peace to bring about harmony and beauty and order to this rebellious, sinful, divided world. Through Jesus, our mediator, the one mediator, God has reconciled us to himself. By the blood of his cross, you now have peace with God and through that same Sacrificial blood shed over 2,000 years ago, God will reconcile all things to himself. Not just individuals, but the whole of creation. There is a cosmic scope to the death of Jesus Christ. He didn't die just for his individual elect people, but for the whole of creation. the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created in the beginning is also the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things will be reconciled in the end. This, of course, does not mean that literally every single human being will be reconciled to God. Paul is not teaching universalism here only those who by God's grace trust in Jesus will be saved but what Paul is emphasizing here is the cosmic universal scope of the death of Jesus Christ not just his elect people but the whole created order the universe in all of its unfathomable dimensions, has been, in principle, reconciled to God. All because of the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. Behold the power and the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ. So who was that baby that was cradled in the arms of Mary, his mother? That baby was and is God, the creator and the sustainer of all things. That baby is and grew up to be the head of the church, the head of the new creation. That baby is our all-sufficient mediator and Saviour, from whose fullness we receive all that we need. That baby is the Lord of creation and the Lord of redemption. It's thought by some that this passage in Colossians was an early Christian hymn. Whether it was or not, Surely this passage makes you want to sing praise to Jesus. When you consider the glory of Jesus Christ, do you not just want to bow down and worship Him? And that's in a sense all you're meant to do. As a Christian believer, There is a real sense in which all you're meant to do is just bow down and worship Jesus. May that be our preeminent posture, not just over this Christmas period, but throughout the year to come. May our preeminent posture be one of bowing down in worship before our Savior, gladly ascribing to him all of the glory and all of the praise. Amen.